At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week, I sat down with Brian Levy, who has accomplished something honestly extraordinary in his new cookbook, Good and Sweet. After working as a pastry chef for many years, he had started to get curious about if we truly needed sugar to make great desserts, when something like a perfectly ripe mango can be so sweet. And thanks to some creative thinking from Brian and a whole lot of trial and error, he developed a book full of sweet recipes that skip not only sugar, but any added sweeteners, which means no honey, no maple syrup, no stevia, just ingredients like fruit in all of its forms, and the natural sweetness of grains, nuts, even vegetables. As you can probably guess, it was not as simple as swapping out sugar one for one. Not even close. In our conversation, we will get into some of the genius workarounds he discovered. But first, we'll talk about a couple of fundamental tips and tricks that have stuck with Brian from early in his career. I mean, this is just a basic like home kitchen, professional kitchen, anything. Like when supplies are getting low, put them on a list, put them on a shopping list. That's something that I used to not do at home for so long and then... I feel like it was more like in COVID when grocery shopping became so much more rare and important in that it was mm -hmm. like our only source of food because we weren't going out. I just got into the practice of whenever anything's running low, just putting it on the shopping list. Mm -hmm. You definitely won't remember later. Yeah. No matter how much guarantee I at least think I'm going to, I won't. <laughs> Uh, what else? There has to be something more, more fun. That that it's better to do things right than to try to do them fast. Oh, I think a lot of people in the at least in a professional kitchen, probably in a home kitchen, have the impulse to like whip things out quickly, especially in pastry related things. I think like where you're trying to roll things out neatly or cut things precisely. It's just better to do it slowly. And make sure you're doing it correctly than to try to do it quickly. And eventually with enough practice, you're going to do it quickly. I also really loved how in the introduction to your new book, Good and Sweet, you talked about the differences between baking in a well-stocked kitchen at a restaurant versus your experience working on a farm in Catalonia. Could you tell us more about those two experiences? Oh, gosh. Well, so after working at Babo. I went directly to work on farms uh, in Spain and France for six months. Do you know Woofing? The mm -hmm. 
It's like W-W-O-O-F-F. And what does that stand for again? Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And you join like various uh, geographic groups of WOOF. Basically, you get a listing for people that are willing to give you room and board in exchange for working on their farms. And the farms are varying levels of farminess. Um, And so the second farm I went to in Spain, outside of Barcelona, I only found out when I got there that they grew some Swiss chard, but that was it. Everything else we were going to be eating was from the grocery store dumpster. So I'm sure I was like a little horrified at first, but it actually um, became a really fun challenge. And my job basically was to make breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day. Mm. Um, And doing that with these very limited dumpster dived resources. Like when we had lots of apples, I made um, an apple tart that someone, like one of the friends of the uh, owner of this place actually like came and bought one of these garbage apple tarts for (laughs) his New Year's party. (laughs) Um, Anyway, obviously that's very different from being in like a Michelin starred kitchen where you have like access to anything and everything, which that's also a nice experience. So do you feel like both of those things sort of combined in the work that you continue to do? Yeah, because I guess the the scarcity thing of the farm work, I like working within fixed parameters or with, with, with limits. I think it's kind of freeing for coming up with mm-hmm. new things. Like when I was doing this book, it's obviously, there's obviously a big limitation I put on myself that opened up a whole new world of exploration of ingredients and techniques. What was it that made you want to take on the huge challenge of creating a whole book without sugar, honey, any type of added sweetener in a baking book? Well, I just thought it must be possible. And I found that it didn't seem to exist. So Mm. the must be possible thing came from just tasting a really sweet mango and thinking, this is so sweet and delicious. Like surely I can make a dessert out of it without having to add sugar or honey or whatever. Like, why can't I just harness the sweetness that's in this mango? Because of the texture of mango, probably the first thing I thought of was making a custard. So I just based on a like simple creme brulee minus the brulee part, mm-hmm. um, I adapted it using uh, mango as the only thing sweetening it. And none of it is as simple as like replacing <laughs> the sugar with a mango. It's not like that. Like I, I like cooked it down and uh, cooked the whole cream and mango mixture down a bit to like condense it. Anyway, it turned out well. It was delicious. And I wanted to try out more recipes like that. And I actually looked for some like existing ones and I really just didn't find any. I was I was kind of kind of shocked because like, I don't know how many ideas haven't already been done. And I'm sure someone somewhere has done this, but I couldn't find any evidence of it. The closest thing that I could find was like a couple books from the maybe late 70s or 80s that were 
sweet things that were sweetened with uh, fruit juice and concentrated fruit juice. And that wasn't at all what I wanted to do. I wanted fruits and other ingredients in as close to their like complete form Mm -hmm. to make their way into dessert dishes. So I started looking at uh, like after the custard, I tried cakes. I think I read in Alice Medrit's um, flavor flowers that I think she started testing Genoise cakes with all her different flowers to see how they would work. So <laughs> I know I tried that and it didn't go very well because Genoise <laughs> <laughs> really depends on like the structure that um, that sugar provides and like how it helps the eggs keep their uh, aerated structure. And mm-hmm. so it really didn't go well. And <laughs> when I kind of like discovered freeze dried fruit, I thought, oh, maybe this is my answer. Like, cause once I make it into a powder, it'll just be like, you know, a powder that's as easy to use as sugar. Right. And of course it wasn't like, I think that's where I tried all the Genoise cakes and um, they just turned into these like gummy, gross messes. And so in all these freeze dried fruits that I was pulverizing, they have a lot of fiber in them, which obviously is not in sugar. And so that fiber was sucking up all the moisture from the other ingredients and just making these big gloppy masses that you wouldn't want to serve as a cake. But one thing I learned that was like a big kind of turning point during the process of testing these recipes was when I figured out that if I coated the pulverized freeze-dried fruit in fat before incorporating it into a recipe, then it prevented that sucking up of all the moisture. So it could act more like a, a flour or a sugar within the recipe. And that's something I took from Rose Levy Barenbaum, no relation, who does the reverse creaming method for making cakes. She coats the the dry ingredients in butter before adding the wet ingredients, which is the reverse of how most people make or made cakes before her. Um, And the fat that coats the flour prevents the gluten from developing in the recipe. So I just took that and applied it to the fiber in the freeze-dried fruits, and it worked in in helping to prevent um, the undesired texture that (laughs) fiber had been causing. So that was pretty cool. That's amazing. Hey, it's Kristen. We'll be right back. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. 
You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great and clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. And we're back with Brian Levy, author of Good and Sweet. The recipe development process must have been long and grueling for this book because you were doing such uncharted things. Are there any examples of like really big wins that you were so proud of after struggling to get something right or really big failures that you just had to kind of like walk away from eventually? An early success was when... So this is how long I've been working on this. My nephew just turned seven and I made a cake for his first birthday. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's actually, it's actually in the book. It's his name's Hugo and it's the Hugo cupcakes with chocolate oh. frosting. I think that that was one of the two first cakes that I figured out. I made us st- the sticky toffee pudding, which is for a long time, been one of my favorite desserts. Mm-hmm. What are the keys to making those work? In the sticky toffee pudding, so there's a basically a like stodgy cake with a um, sticky caramelly sauce on it. And about the sweetest dessert I could imagine, too. Yeah. <laughs> so tricky. <laughs> but it does have dates in it to begin mm-hmm. with, typically. And so I just like amped up the roll of the dates in it and they made, I made a puree of dates and of the dates and the, uh, and the butter and the eggs. Um, and it comes, becomes kind of this whipped puree and that gets folded into the dry ingredients and dates are like two thirds sugar. Um, Mm -hmm. and they have this caramelly kind of flavor and relying on dates makes me made me feel like I was cheating when I was <laughs> working on the book. Like it was like the, I tried to avoid dates whenever possible because I didn't want it to just be like a date book. Mm-hmm. But um, because they're so, because they're so sweet and sugary, it's easy to just, and, and fairly nu- neutral tasting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy to go straight to them, but I wanted to make sure that all the sweet ingredients I was applying made sense in whatever recipe. Like if I was making an apple cake, I wanted to use dried apples, not dates. And But in the sticky toffee pudding, it's all about caramel, brown, sugary, buttery flavors. Dates make perfect sense. And then in the chocolate cake, I did a similar thing where it has a base of like a whipped dried fruit and other wet ingredients puree. And in that I used prunes and dates. And that ended up having a really nice, I used used prunes a lot with chocolate because I think it's a really good compliment. And in this particular cake, it, it's definitely a chocolate cake, but it has kind of hints of, have you ever had a a Cadbury's fruit and nut bar? Mm -hmm. This cake kind of gives me that feeling. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Sort of like taking the best part of trail mix and expanding it. 
you know, like in a trail mix that has nut and fruits and you're always hunting for the chocolate chips, just like. Yeah, exactly. Drawing that out a little more. (laughs) Yeah. And then to have little kids like this stuff and, you know, just think of it as cake and not like healthy cake or Mm -hmm. Brian's weird cake. Um, (laughs) Like when my friend was here last summer, I made those cupcakes. My friend's kid was like licking the frosting off the cupcake Mm -hmm. and loved it. And, you know. No one told her she had to mm-hmm. eat it. <laughs> it's just like, you know, when kids are eating stuff, they're not faking liking it. So mm-hmm. I can see how that would drive you to keep going with this project. If that was one of your early wins. Yeah. That would light a fire for a while. Those sound amazing. I'd love to hear more, too, about what bakers can expect to be different about baking without sugar and sugar-ish ingredients. So... One of the things that sugar does is it melts and when it melts, it spreads out. So when you're making cookies, conventional, you know, cookies with cane sugar in them, one of the things that's happening when you put those balls of dough on the pan and then put them in the oven is the sugar is melting, the butter and all everything else also, but the sugar is a big part of it spreading out. When you're using fruit ingredients instead of conventional sugars. One thing that that all these fruits bring into the recipes is fiber. And the fiber kind of gives structure in its own way. And that's not a melty way. So mm-hmm. so if so you have to be more conscious of the shape you want things to end up being, mostly when it comes to cookies. In wetter batters like cakes and muffins and things, you know, it all works itself out. But with drier dough, like cookie dough, you have to give it more of its final shape because it's just Mm. not going to spread out the way it would if it had melting cane sugar in it. Well, are there any other examples of um, ways in which you can expect baking to be different when you're not using sugar or other sugar-like ingredients? You're going to think of things in a more deconstructed way. Mm. Like we're in a conventional recipe, you might make a graham cracker crust by using store-bought graham crackers. Instead, I had to think of a way that would give you that same texture and flavor without the graham crackers that already have sugar in them. So I used a combination of breadcrumbs and date powder, which Mm. is also called date sugar, but I think it's a misnomer because it's full da- it's whole dates that are dried and ground up. So mm-hmm. I think it's just more marketable to call it date sugar because people like the sound of sugar, but it is date powder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to defend myself as not yeah. using like a, a <laughs> you, like you don't want to put it in your coffee. It's not mm. a sugar alternative. The breadcrumbs in place of graham crackers, I use that technique in the key lime tart and a cheesecake. I thought that was pretty exciting when I figured it out. There are other ingredients that I had never used before and some I had never even heard of before. I didn't know dried white mulberries at all. They're just a delicious thing to eat on their own, like Mm -hmm. as a snack, but they're also a pretty close relative of figs. And when you have that in mind, you can kind of taste the figginess of them. And it's like eating little shrunken figs that have kind of a Mm. slightly crunchy texture, but 
those are great for recipes that uh, that have figs in them. Like a like I have a, a fig crumble where I use dried white mulberries in the the streusel topping. Yum. There's a lot of use of coconut products because coconut milk, coconut meat, like coconut flakes, even coconut water, they just have a natural sweetness that doesn't necessarily overwhelm a recipe with a like bold coconut flavor unless it's intended to but other things like where garnishing is different um Mm. in conventional dessert making there can be a lot of relying on like sprinkling powdered sugar over a cake Mm -hmm. or to make it pretty um or big crystalline sugar over a brioche or whatever so i just figured out uh alternatives to that like in terms of uh, adding crunch, I use nuts and puffed grains like millet. And then for more of like a an aesthetic thing, I use bee pollen or nonfat dry milk powder or coconut flour or a combination of those things. Mm. Nonfat dry milk powder is another like powerhouse ingredient that I uh, use a lot in the book. How and so? I do, I did come up with a vegan alternative, but... The nonfat dry milk powder. Did you ever have carnation instant in, instant breakfast? Mm-hmm. I did, and I always loved it. And it just has that like kind of malty flavor. The the like dried milk that actually comes from the just the the changing the state of the milk, and obviously it gets heated and to dry it out, um, it actually transforms or alters the flavor molecules in it. So it actually is bringing out like vanillin and those like warm malty flavors mm. that you don't get in fresh milk. And and the sugar that's in it is mostly um, lactose, which is less sweet than sucrose and the other sugars. But um, mm. so it's bringing sweetness. It's kind of, it can kind of act as like an emulsifier and just aesthetically, it's a nice like powder to have on hand for for finishing things. So where would, like, what are some of the recipes in your book where that features prominently? Um, so there are chocolate buckwheat cookies uh, mm-hmm. where that's sprinkled on top before they're baked. I love that. I never would have thought to use it as a garnish. Like something deep in me says like milk powder is not like a, it's, it's like a processed thing that you shouldn't be using. But there are plenty of organic options out there People have been drying milk and using it for a long time. So it's not just like a an industrial kind of industrial age kind of nasty powder. It makes so much sense to like fresh milk is so perishable and this is a way to preserve it. And like when I was growing up, my aunt and uncle always that was all their milk. They, they reconstituted dry milk just as kind of a practicality as a cost savings. But it's really interesting to think that that product can be used to make your baked goods just taste better. Was there anything else that you wanted to be sure to mention that we hadn't talked about? And if not, I would just love to hear any any parting thoughts about, you know, the most important things that you hope bakers take away from this book. I wanted to be clear that there's no, like I didn't come up with a like sugar alternative and just swap it in for sugar for all the in in a bunch of recipes like each recipe I 
had to approach as a new experiment. And the ingredients that sweeten it are ingredients that complement the flavors that are in it and make sense as part of the recipe. So there's no one-size-fits-all sweetener that I use. Thanks for listening, and my thanks to Brian Levy for sitting with me for this episode. Be sure to check out his cookbook, Good and Sweet, A New Way to Bake with Naturally Sweet Ingredients, which is officially out July 26th. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, with post-production by Crutchface Studios. If you have a favorite recipe with dates or milk powder or other secret superstars of the baking world, I would love to hear about it at geniusatfood52.com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Or just send this episode to someone who would appreciate the magic that can come from fruit and nothing but the fruit. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.